Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. You look nervous. I'm in a glass case of emotion! Slowly let go of me, I think you're brutal my neck me. That is why the warriors have come! I'll be back to have vengeance! Throw me a freaking bone here! Martini, shaken, not stirred. The force will be with you always. Avengers, assemble in the red corner. Standing six foot two inches tall, weighing in at 245 pounds. Is the Eclectic Collective. all our fans we have a very special episode today and without further ado i'm going to hand it over to mr matt and he's going to in- make all the introductions heck yeah uh thank y'all for joining us we are the eclectic collective i'm matt i'm Micah. i'm brian i'm jim and we uh like jim says we have a special guest with us that we're really honored to have on you might have seen him as uh moose malloy in farewell my uh my lovely uh, Emma Muzz in Dragnet, and uh, most yes. popular is Non mm-hmm. from Superman. Non the Enforcer. Uh, yes. Oil, oil Enforcer of Zod. Hail Zod! <laughs> Hail Zod. Jack, thank you so much for uh, uh, being with us today. Um, it, we're really honored. We're huge Superman fans. As you can see, I'm wearing black in honor of Non. Uh, maybe uh, soldiers. Yes. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> I have to tell you. I have to tell you, Jack, too, that I don't know. I think a lot of us are, but for myself personally, Superman two, even taken into the modern stuff, Superman two is still my favorite Superman of all. Oh, time. by far. Oh, oh yes. They were much better. They were much better films than what the editing are doing today. Have you seen the Donner cut? I yes. have. I'm not a fan of it. I have it. I like uh, the original. But before, but before we get into the movies, I, I want to go back to Irish Jack, if you don't mind, because yes, like I knew that you were a boxer, but before we had you on, I did a little research, and man, you have an amazing record, and I didn't realize. Can you tell us, like, what got you into boxing? Um, I was. Um I was actually playing football, and I uh, the and in the period of time that I played ball, they didn't have what you have today hardship cases, so you couldn't play pro ball until your class. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Here we go. Yeah, I think he froze. Yeah, oh. I think we lost you, Jack. <laughs> oh well. Technical difficulties, as yeah. always. Yeah, as always. I think we lost you. Oh, here he comes. We all there or what? Yeah, yeah I we think we lost you. Now. We got I you now. It. Sorry about that. What they did, you know, they, they, uh, the New York Jets grabbed me right away because I was like, 
you know, 6'6 six, six and 280, and I ran a 4'640. And I oh, could wow. play. Wow. But then we had like they, they had like um, like a farm system, like for baseball. They had it for pro football, mm-hmm. and a lot of us that left school early played in this league on the East Coast until we were ready to go up and play pro ball. Okay. The Dick Christie and I were playing on this one team in Philly called Tinicum, and uh, when I was ready to go up and play. Philadelphia had a great team. A lot of friends of mine were down there. So I told you back, I, I want to go down and play down in Philly for you know a year or so. He said, well, you got a home here, but whatever you want to do. And then a, Jerry Wallman bought the team, and he, he hired this guy, Q. Harrick, who traded a football team, traded a championship team away in like two months. Jurgensen and McDonald and a bunch of people. And Ali had just won the title. So I said to some friends of mine, you know, I, I could beat that guy. And they said, okay. wow, a great idea. Let's put you in the gym. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Always looking for a white heavyweight. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, I went in the gym and started. That was my – and people said, well, you never boxed amateur. And I said, no. Well, I had all my amateur fights in the street, you know. And I could fight. I had, you know, I had a great ability. But that was my own worst enemy. But I I was 16-0 um, and – I had to do a physical one time, and they found out that I had a, a disease called acromegaly, which is a tumor of the pituitary gland. Oh, crap. And said, uh, why, how can you even get in the ring, man? He said, you shouldn't, shouldn't be boxing at all. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> Goodbye. As did. So, but it, you know, it, it, it affected me in, in a way. But, uh, you know, the boxing was like a day job. It was, it was something that, that – uh, and being involved in my father's world and at nighttime, you know, I had to have a day job because the the police used to look at you kind of funny. Yeah, good job. So and you just you stumbled, you got into this, uh, you know, to show that you could beat someone, and then it became something that uh, paid the bills for you. And then well, it was, it, you were it, really it, good it, at it. Was a, it was a day job, you know. Uh, I was. You got to go back and. There's, I wrote a book called Family Legacy. Yeah, I want to talk okay. about that. My father, was, uh, my father yes. was a very infamous guy. He was probably one of the most feared Italians that ever came into the country. And he ran a little company in New York called Murder Inc. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And, they, and, and he, was, he was the Gambino family. It was his family. And then when they assassinated him in 57, it became the Gambino family because Gambino was his underboss. But they, my father died because he wouldn't go in the drug business. When you see the Godfather and they went to Brando to get in the drug business, and he said, if we touch it, our children will touch it. It'll be the downfall of families. Well, Albert said that. My father said that. He said, we oh, didn't wow. sign up for this. This is what we were here for. Yeah. But, you know, they, because um, the old timers never, never touched drugs. It was, you know, it was a no-no. And in fact, there was a guy. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I was in Nashville one time, and I uh, there was a there's a little town right on the other side of Henderson. There's a little town down there that this guy lived in, and he came up to Nashville to see me, and he said, uh, and he was a member of Murder Inc. And he how tight these guys were, and why they would have never got caught. This guy told me a story one time. He 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 was like the guy next door. He, Helped his neighbors do this and that, and he was always at church every Sunday. And one time he took a contract up in Chicago, and he was away for like four days. 
and the FBI went down to that town and they were and they were questioning people about him being there at a certain date. And they said he was in church that Sunday. What are you talking about? And he huh. was walking down the street and we saw him coming out of his house and he wasn't even home. But they were so <laughs> used to seeing him, you know, yeah. they were so used to seeing him there that they, they automatically thought he was automatically there. I just laughed. I said, you mean to tell me that? The, he said, yeah. He said, I had 100 alibis. So, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> so can I ask you, can I ask you, uh, how did you get the nickname Irish Jack uh, being a part of? Uh, Why? Well, because of my, I was, I was a World War II uh, love affair. My mother was married to an Irish guy. And, um, of course, they were at war, and it was, it was the Second World War. And my father, my father was a funny story. My father, when they were looking for him everywhere, after Louis Lipke got uh, the chair, his partner, they were looking for Albert everywhere for one of the murdering stuff. And, and he was in the Army in Indian Gap, Pennsylvania, teaching soldiers how to be longshoremen, which was a joke. <laughs> he never spent the night. In the, in the barracks, he was always down in Philadelphia because he ran all the docks and everything. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, and he met my mother, and I was, a, I was a product of that. And, uh, and she was married to him, so he left it that way because he knew trouble was coming down the street, and thought I was better being raised down in Philadelphia by my mother. Okay, I had minders around me, people that he put around, put around me that taught me a lot of things, and you know, and then when. I was 14 when he got assassinated. Mm. How did that affect you? Like- I, um, you know, uh, it, a couple of years later, I we got involved with Meyer Lansky and Frank Costello and people, and they sort of raised me up, and uh, it gave me a sort of a, a coarse look on life, you know, and I, uh, I just. Uh, had a lot of anger in me for a long time. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Yes. So did you uh, did you use those talents uh, on the on like street fights to earn money too? Well, we did, ran a lot of unions and stuff. And I oh, took okay. a lot of business and okay, a lot, a lot of street business and, and the book's kind of good. You'll you'll enjoy the book. The book's pretty. Yeah, I've already. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, I've book's already got good. it. We got three more books coming. And then Charlie Luciano's son and I have gotten together, and, and he's got his father's book, The Last Testament of Charlie Luciano. And Luciano and my father were partners. So there's a lot of things we're going to tell the stories of. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of stories in our country that that people have taken liberties of putting answers to that they didn't uh, know. Okay. It's like they did the picture of the Irishman. And, and um, uh, yeah. I knew Frank Sheeran well. He's from Philadelphia, and, and he never – killed Hoffa and he never killed Joey Gallo. That's all far. Wow. Yeah, Hoffa. I was going to ask you if, uh, if you watched The Irishman to see... Uh, I mean, it was well acted. I mean, Pesci did a great job. It was well acted. But I mean, uh, Russell Buffalino, I knew very well. Russell turned over in his grave if he saw the way they projected him. Mm. So it was, Russell was kind of a unique individual. But, uh, so I wonder if the book that The Irishman is based on the Painting, they paint houses. Oh bullshit! But <laughs> he, was a, he was a driver, and he was a tough guy in the street. But you know, uh, let me say this to you: anybody who who they proclaim to be a hit guy isn't very smart. Yeah. The people who made people disappear that 
you know, they taught me something when I was a kid. No body, no weapon, no crime. You know, mm-hmm. right. so any idiot can leave you laying around in the street like a fool. Yep. When you when people disappear, you put fear in people. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, right. and the object of a person who's working that side of the street is to instill as much fear as you can in people. You know, yeah. to make them understand that certain liberties just can't be taken. You know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you, you, you look, as a young man, you look very, and you still do, honestly, you look very intimidating. If you came up to me and asked me for something, I'd give you everything I had. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, um, had that uh, kind of uh, demeanor when I was younger, I, you know. I took a lot of, lot of guns and knives off of people. You, know? <laughs> if you weren't shooting that gun when you pointed at me, you'd be, I'd be standing up your ass. <laughs> we could have own, I promise. <laughs> so, let, like, so from so from uh, boxing and that background, and you said it, your book is for sale right now, right? Oh yeah, it's been out for about ten years actually. All right, so like everybody listening, um, if you want more information um, about um, that the part that part of his life about the uh, uh, you know mafia life that uh, he grew up around, go buy his book, uh, Family Legacy. I know it's on Amazon. Yeah, you just have to go to familylegacythenovel.com. There you go. Familylegacynovel.com and uh, buy a copy. Um, And, uh, like, I know we all will, um, especially during this pandemic. We all need something to read. And now I'm very interested to know more information about that background. Well, it it tells the truth of the Kennedy Kennedy assassination. I actually tell the truth about the Kennedy assassination. Oh, you're about to spark Jim's. uh... (laughs) I am a Kennedy conspiracy nut i am i have to have this book now i mean absolutely have to have it. <laughs> well, you know, you, 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 if you're a conspiracy nut you know all the answers are actually right in the library the people just don't know where to look and it's yeah. an amazing factor if you were if you wanted to blame one person for jack kennedy's death it was his father his father backstabbed every person they ever did business with and Whoa. And not in a good way either. And and he was controlled by Chicago from the 20s on. And people don't, and the history's there that people just don't want to see or go and, and find out, you know. And it's like when I wrote this book and I gave it to four high school children and they came back to me because they ran to the library and looked up the names, Meyer Lansky and this and that. Mm-hmm. And, and they came back to me and they said, why don't they teach us this in school? Yeah, How, we never learned any of this in school, and, and you know the Kennedy deal, the whole one bullet theory was total rubbish. Oh, yes. Lee Harvey Oswald oh, yeah. was not even in the building yeah. when this thing happened. And anybody that knows anything about guns, and you guys are from Tennessee, so you ought to know something about shooting. <laughs> I know a couple things. Anybody knows anything about rifles, a rifle especially. You know, if you're going to, you're talking about a mail order rifle that a guy supposedly shot from a window. And here you go shooting a shot. When you when you're shooting a rifle, there are variables that you must take into account if you're shooting a thousand feet or better. Okay. And Dealey Plaza, the wind duralist there was so bad that police couldn't hear their microphones and stuff. You had a vehicle going down in the decline. You had trees, signs, and the wind. Now you're in a window and you're with a bolt action rifle mm-hmm. that. When you're a shooter, you have to arrest your heart about 60 seconds to take it down to 
a speed of 60 because the pulse is in your finger. If you're going to make an accurate shot and you can take all the very So when someone says that they shot three shots in 28 seconds from a bold action rifle, please give me a break. You're insulting my intelligence. You know, it wasn't that great a shot in the first place. Yeah. So there were 13 shots fired that day. And Jack Kennedy, and it's all come out in history. Every 10 years, they come out with another fact that Jack Kennedy was shot three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bullet right. theory is total bull. Oh, yeah. The time is. he got shot, he got shot in the throat. And that came from a cauldron in the street. Johnny Roselli shot him, hit him in the throat. And what's it called? Uh, Conley got shot first. Conley fell. Kennedy fell on top of him. And then he got shot in his lower back that they yeah. never talked about for 15 years. And then the last shot was taken by Greer, the guy that drove the car. Yep. Because the car didn't speed up. It slowed down and it veered to the left and he turned and he took the last shot and you see Kennedy fly backwards and the back of his head come out. So the guy's shooting you from a window and he's hitting you behind the head, it would come out the front, not the back. You understand? Right. So all that theory is all that. And Jackie Kennedy, if you watch his Bruder footage, mm-hmm. all the Secret Service guys have walked away from his car before the bullets start flying. And then they had to run back up to the car to catch up to him. And when Jackie came out of the car, the, you know, everybody said, well, she was trying to scrape his brains. Well, that's bullshit. She was trying <laughs> to get out so they wouldn't shoot her. Yeah. But so she was going to get shot next. And when she came out and the guy grabbed her, they whispered in her ear, if you mention one thing that you saw happen here today, we will kill your children. Wow. Oh. And she never spoke a word about anything that happened that day. Never. Wow. So uh, that's that's crazy. I've never once. And like, if you stop and think about some, you're a conspiracy expert on it. Oh, yeah. Who was the top cop in the country at the time Kennedy got killed? Who was the um, top cop in the country? I don't. I can't tell you. I, I can't remember stuff in my head. His brother Bobby was Attorney General, and his brother. Oh, okay. was oh. His brother Bobby was a second skin everywhere he ever went. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he did, and four people went to see him before Jack went down there to that for that deal. Mm-hmm. Or one of them being Adlai Stevenson, and mm-hmm. said, "Do not let your brother go to Texas because the the, the animosity down there is terrible. Okay. They just done spitting at me in Houston." Okay, and there's the president in an open car, going past the Bird Building with all these windows open, people coming off the train thing to go over a bridge that that car is going to go under. Mm-hmm. Where was security yeah. at? Okay. Yeah. Now, Bobby didn't go before, during, or after because he knew his brother wasn't coming home. Jack was dying. He would have not lived out his term. He had Addison's disease very bad, which was deteriorating his back. They shot him up every day. Mm-hmm. He had syphilis and two other diseases. Wow. So he was not in great physical shape. His father would rather see him die that way than and put a mark on the on the family dying from a health reasons. Okay? Oh, wow. Oh, Say, wow. Oh, that's kind of cold, man. Why would that guy do that? Well, look what he did to his daughter. His daughter suffered from ADD before they knew anything about it, and he lobotomized her. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Jack yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. in a sanitarium her whole life, looking out a window. Wow. How cold is that? That's pretty cold. That's- that's cold. Mm-hmm. That is cold. <laughs> That's super so, cold. Stop and think of the people that this guy angered. 
and started back. You you got to go back to the twenties, and then you go first. It started with him, where he was a bootlegger. Mm-hmm. He married Rose Fitzgerald, Honey Fitzgerald. Her father was a gangster from Ireland who ran Boston. Mm-hmm. And he was a wealthy, wealthy guy. He owned the bank. He was the first senator. And he controlled all the liquor out of Scotland and everything. And when he brought it into America, Joe took it up into Canada. He had a warehouse up there. The guy from Newark, New Jersey, that owned Fleischmann Liquor. Mm-hmm. And they were bootlegging into America. And mm-hmm. there was a load of booze coming into America to belong to the Purple Gang that Joe Kennedy hijacked. And they said, you know what, son? You're a dead man. If they told you you were a dead man, look up who the Purple Gang were. They were nobody to play with. Yeah. Ran back to his father-in-law and he cried, you know, what am I going to do about this? And he said, I can't help you, son. The only guy that can help you is in Chicago. He went to show see Joe Esposito. Joe Esposito said, you know what, kiddo? You're a good earner. You go home. I'll take care of the purple guy. But you belong to us now. Okay. He was the thumb to Chicago and he hated that. Hmm. Oh, wow. So, That's crazy. You know, you know, and he angered a bunch of people. He was instrumental in the crash of 29. He was, uh, when he was ambassador to England, he formed a bank with the Shah of Iran, who was a gangster. He lent money to Hitler. Hitler came back to them when they had a Khashoggi and sold them weapons. And England said, hey, man, you can't do that. We weren't in a war yet, so he didn't think he was doing anything wrong. Wow. Yeah. And they threw him out of England. He came home as ambassador Joe Kennedy. Nobody ever said anything because the Gore family owned the newspapers on the East Coast. They were from Indiana. And Randolph Hearst owned everything on the West Coast, and he was friends with both of them. And there was no television then, and the, and all the all the radio stations were owned by the Murchison family from Texas. So no one ever said a word about anything. Wow. He was wow. England. Do you go into all this type of detail in the book? Is all this detail in there? There's some stuff in there, yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to read this book. I can't wait either, man. This so, is going to be awesome. There are a few more books we're going to write that are going to really, you know, but uh, the book goes from my father's death to Kennedy's death. Okay. And then the next one will be up to Nixon's in Portugal. We're going we're gonna to tell a lot of things that should be told. And, and no one yeah. ever really looks. I mean, you're looking at the guy who orchestrated Dealey Plaza is a guy by the name, he was the Jackal. Okay. Carl Sanchez. Yeah. From Europe. He was a main hitter from Europe. He Wait a minute. Was there a movie called Jackal? Yes, huh? there was. Yeah. Carl Sanchez, he orchestrated that whole thing. If you were going to shoot Kennedy from that window, you would have done it as the car approached the turn before it turned down the street. But it had a clear shot right at it. Boom. And then there was a prison right alongside that building that they looked and there was three guys in the window. Two of them were dark complected. They were Cubans. So there was no Oswald there. Thank yeah. you very much. You know. <laughs> well, you've definitely sparked our uh, imagination. And again, for all those who want more information about this part, it's at familylegacynovel.com. The novel. From uh, Amazon. And I'm sure there are other uh, areas you could buy it. Micah, Brian, uh, y'all are on the Facebook. Has anybody got any questions about the boxing, mafia, or Ken- Kennedy assassination part? Not yet. No, no they're all yet. just they're all just excited and yeah. in awe of all the information we just got. That is true. Well, yep. well, let's, now, let's, just to say again, though, it is familylegacythenovel.com. dot com. Family yeah. Legacy the novel. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. Family's Legacy the novel dot com, and I know it's on Amazon. 
Uh, yes, I just book. bought it on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> you just sold a copy, Jack. Yeah. Oh my God. I <laughs> like I got, I got to read this book. Yeah, I do too. Oh. I'm, I'm gonna buy it as soon as we get off of here. Uh, so, uh, let's lead into uh, farewell, my lovely. How did, Ooh, how did you great, from great. Uh, the boxing uh, but, career you know, to mafia amazing. life lead up to this? <laughs> When I, I was up in Boston, fighting out of Boston, and uh, Steve McQueen did the Thomas Crown Affair up there. Mm-hmm. And when he came into Boston, we looked after him to make sure he was okay and safe and everything. And he and I became very good friends. And he said, man, come down and I'll put you in the movie. And, you know, boy, you come back to Hollywood, we'll have a good time. He was a great kid. And I said, I don't think so. I was undefeated boxing and I was into boxing and I kind of liked it. And uh, I had some good friends in Boston and we were having a good time. So I passed on it. And then they came to me when I knocked out Manuel Ramos in L.A. in 69. They were doing a film called The Great White Hope with James Earl Jones. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the East Coast had already made a deal with the producer that I was going to go and do this play Jess Willard in this movie. And they flew me out to Hollywood and, and uh, talked to the producer. And, and he you know, offered me all the stuff and stuff. And I, I said, you know, I. I just knocked out the number two heavyweight in the world, and I'm looking to fight Ali, and you want me to go to Spain for six months? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I, there's a guy named Jim Beatty. He's a big white kid. He lives up in Minneapolis. He just retired from boxing, and, and he's feeding six kids, so he needs a job. Call him up. And the guy said, you're passing? And I said, yeah, I think so. And I, and I, was, I was leaving Fox, and I was going down the steps, and James Earl Jones was coming up, and he's Stop me. He said, Jack O'Hara. And I said, yeah, James Earl Jones. How wonderful. <laughs> said, Is it true what I just heard about you? You just told Hollywood to take the biggest movie out here and stick it? I said, well, if you want to look at it that way, I guess. So I said, I got to shake your hand. I never met anybody. <laughs> and we became friends. And, you know, and, and Steve McQueen jumped on me again. What's the matter with you? So, you know, so I passed. And I... And then when they, I retired from boxing, they came to me to do Farewell, My Lovely. And uh, they brought me out to do a screen test. And Mitchum saw the screen test. And he said, it's either him or I don't do the movie. So I blame it all on Robert Mitchum. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Was that, was that a, a weird transition from the life that you were living into movies and now Hollywood? Especially uh, joining Robert Mitchum. Like, was that intimidating to you at all? Or did Mitchum, you find yourself a natural? Uh, Mitchum, Mitchum was actually... Well, I, I, I don't know what the word fear means. I never, I was never afraid of it. <laughs> uh, and the movie business was, I mean, Mitchum was a great, if you had to have a mentor, he was the best. I mean, yeah. I, I was okay. just, he, he just took me yes. by. And it was just, a, and you know, I, I'll tell you the funny. He arranged for, they picked him up and then they came and picked me up and we drove to the set in, in the car together. Uh, the very first day I ever went to work on a set. And he had me laughing all the way downtown. It took us like 40 minutes to get down to the set, telling me stories and, and stuff. And, and then we got down there and I got dressed and went, we were going to do walk on to do the very first shot I ever did in Hollywood. And he said to me, you read that script, kid? I said, read it. I know your role, Charlotte Rampling's role, John Ireland, Harry Dean Stanton. I said, yeah, I read it over cover to cover. He said, good, throw it in the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> And don't let me catch you doing what people in this industry do, acting. He said, just be yourself. Take yourself, put yourself in this character, and walk down the street like that. 
He said, how many gangster things have you done in your life? Because he knew a lot about me. And I said, well, maybe one or two. He said, be you. And, and that's exactly what I did. And it, and it worked very well in the film. All right, can we uh, can we pivot to uh, Superman two for a minute? Um, yeah. And um, I want to I want to kind of dig your brain and figure out what was life like on the set, did, um, working with all the different actors and everything. Well, we had a ball. I mean, they, first of all, you got to know we did one and two together. Yeah, that's and what I heard. Right. Yeah, and the first eleven oh, days, yeah. one and the first two. Eleven days of filming were on Brando. Okay. I mean, but and, and then you got to look at the mentality of the salt kinds, you know. How do you cut Marlon Brando out of a picture? He had shot all the footage for two, and he mm -hmm. cut him out because they didn't want to pay him. Oh, wow. And, you know, so with working with with Hackman, and, and, and I just done a picture with Hackman called March or Die before we went up to do Superman. And, you know, we had a great, we had a great cast. Turn Stamp is a great actor. Sarah is a great actor. You know, and uh, everybody involved was uh, was primo. I mean, when you're Valerie Perrine was funnier than hell, and when and Margot Kidder, you know, and when you're involved in doing something for three and a half years, you know, it, it becomes like a family. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it was you know it was it was it was good. Did I well? Did I hear? A rumor or something about maybe a little scuffle between you and Christopher Reeve? Oh, uh, you know, people blow that thing so out of proportion. I mean, really? If you're working with somebody for three years, you mean to tell me all four of you guys have never had an argument with each other? Oh, all the time. <laughs> we have arguments on the show. <laughs> you know, we had an incident that happened. You know, I there was the people in town that owned the restaurant called San Lorenzo. It was the, the first. Italian restaurant in London, and it was a, and it became a paparazzi place, and and of course they were dear friends of mine. So I got all the cast and people to go in there to eat dinner all the time, because okay. it helped the business out and everything else. And and Christopher was in there with a bunch of people one night, and he was talking about my father and me and all kinds of things that he had no business talking about. Mm -hmm. And the owner of the restaurant called me on the phone. He said, Jackie, he says, how well do you know this Christopher Reeve kid? And I said, uh, I work with him every day. Other than that, he said, well, he's talking about a lot of things I don't think he should be talking about. So the next day I grabbed him and I took him in a room and I said, you know, son, how well do you know me? Wow. He said, you know, he said well, I said, what gives you the right to talk about my father or other people in my world other than this movie business? He said, well, I heard stories about you. And I said, that doesn't give you. I said, whenever you mention my name from now on, sunshine, just put Mr. in front of it. <laughs> and and I thought we had an understanding. And when we went out of the room, Christopher became like Superman. You can't talk to me that way. And oh my God, I said. Just, so I threw him against the wall, and I was just ready to hit him. And Donna whispered in my ear, "Not the face, Jack. Don't hit him." In the face. <laughs> <laughs> and I laughed like hell, just like that. I dropped him on the floor. And I said, you know, son, you got to pass. If you find your life, you have no idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was over with. It was never. Anything said after he just, you know, we never really hung out together, you know, but I made sure that he was okay because he was, a, he made a fool of himself a lot of times. He was a young kid. Yeah. It was the first big movie he ever did. You know, he made a lot of foolish mistakes. So how much time did you spend on set with the, both movies being filmed back to back? How much time did you personally spend on set on those films? Uh, mostly every day. Really? For how long? Well, how long of a time frame? 
Oh, it depends if we were shooting. You know, we it, it took a while. I mean, the flying shots. We broke a lot of precedents. You know, in, in doing the flying shots, and mm-hmm. uh, they they were very timely, and, and it took hours sometimes. You know, okay. oh, yeah. We shot this division on this division. I mean, they had a seventy foot screen with pole arms coming out with body molds that we laid in. Mm-hmm. And they shot this division on this division. They shot us into the movie. Because people said, wow, how'd you fly under bridges and around buildings without wires and all that stuff? And it was very creative what they did. But it was very time-consuming. Wow, gotcha. Oh, wow. Let me ask this. It, in, in Superman 1 and 2, um, did it bother you that you were playing a mute, mute character? Because even though you were a mute character, you were still very intimidating. And your character very. was everlasting. Mm-hmm. You know, a very intimidating character sometimes needs very few or no words. But personally, as an actor who played that character, did that bother you at all? That it was well, it did. They, when they when I talked to Donner about it, the first thing you know, and I said I embraced that. He said, "What?" I said, "Well, Jackie Gleason was a friend of mine, and he did a picture called Gigo, where he won an Oscar for playing a deaf, dumb, mute guy." Mm-hmm. I said, if I ever get a chance to put a character like that, I'm going to embrace it. And Nan was the perfect character because you had Zod was a vicious general and Sarah was a man eater. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to relate to the kids in the audience. So I said, I'm going to take this brutish guy and I'm going to play him like a child. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And That's awesome. One of, my, one of my favorite parts of Superman too is where you pick up the stick yep. and, and, you, <laughs> and you try to do the laser eyes. <laughs> oh, it's my it's my favorite part of Superman too. I always laugh at that one moment yep. every time I still watch to it. this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, see that it, it worked well trying to play this guy like a child, and it worked. You know, and I have so many people that come. I remember when I did my first Comic Con, and and people came up to the table and they, I said, "My God, you can actually talk." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I said I was that convincing as a mute. He said, "Yeah." <laughs> and, and then people come up and say, "Boy, as a child, you scared the hell out of me, but I love the character, you know, because it, they related to a child mannerism." Yeah. So, evidently, let me, let me ask you this, Jack: How do you feel about Nom, not just being in Superman Two, but that that character has been moved to like been used in like Smallville? They even had it in the remake of Man of Steel. Um, knowing that you started that character, but that character still lives on. But nobody did it that well, though, you know? No. <laughs> no, no. Not even never. close. Not even no, close. Not even, yeah. <laughs> what we're doing now, you guys will love it, being your Superman. We're, we're waiting for the smoke to settle between AT&T and Warner Brothers, and then we're going to get a license, and with holograms, we can bring Christopher back and the three villains. And I have a great storyline that brings the villains out of jail and changes their mental capacities. And uh, and they become cohorts of Superman. And they're fighting with him against all these villains coming from outer space. I'm old. I'm yeah. old. That'll be bright. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and would... it's a real neat way the way we do it. You know, it's just a, it works extremely well compared to how Krypton blew up. And they're all, you know, we... There's a sister planet across the galaxy that was a sister planet to it, and it just uh, the, it's just really kind of cool. It's going to be. I really mean, cool. if they're going to be able to bring James Dean back, they should be able to bring Christopher Reeve. Oh, back. you can bring Christopher back without a problem. This technology is brilliant. Yep. Absolutely yep. brilliant. 
Oh, we'll bring him back with, and bring all three villains back. Oh yes, please. Mm-hmm. And it, it's going to be, uh, and, and everybody, you know, I can bring Brando back. I can bring it all back. That's so awesome. it'll be kind of, kind of a neat, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Let me, let me, I, I, I hate to do this, but you were a part of King Kong and I am a humongous King Kong fan. Like King Kong over Godzilla any day. Uh, I grew yes. up with every like I grew up with the uh, the 1976 King Kong. Um, that is what great got me script, into great cast, bad director. Yeah. Ah. Well, I want to ask. I want to ask because you know there was one earlier in '76. At that time, was like the uh, you know the updated version. So being a part of that movie. What was it like being around all the... Were you around any of the animatronics that were used at that time? And what was it like being around so much that was involved with this movie? Oh, it was amazing. They only had the monkey together once. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, really? It was in parts at <laughs> the studio. You know, you <laughs> the legs, the hand. I mean, poor Jesse. The finger dropped one time. The, the cable broke, almost broke, knocked her head off. Oh, wow. You know, oh, wow. Jumping down the toucher. It actually, the cable broke and it fell on top of her head. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. When she was in the palm of the, of the monkey. But they, you know, it, it, they only put the thing together like one time at the end of the movie. But it was, uh, it, was a, it was kind of clever watching how they were doing things. And they had some great technicians. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, it was good. You know, there was a movie was could have been better, but it worked out pretty well. It had a great cast. Jeffrey Bridges, and, you know, Jessica yeah. knew she was a yes. star when she walked on the set, and it was her first movie. But Charlie Grodin's funnier than hell. He was great. Renee Abujamora. So it was it was good. We had a lot of fun. So you just didn't like the directing part of it. You think it could have? Uh, well, it could have been better. The director was an idiot. He was drunk. Yeah. He was just a fool. Oh wow. He could have uh, got. That's direct. amazing. It, 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 I mean. Just to just to hear that, like, you know, I I saw that, you know, that w- that movie came out way before I was born, but when I first saw it, uh, I'm sure me and Jim, me and Jim uh, here are brothers, and I'm sure like, you know, we were sitting down watching TV and it came on. And that's when I fell in love with King Kong was because of that oh, movie. Oh yeah. Now I mean, said you know, the very watching, first words in the movie. What? <laughs> I said the very first words in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Joe Perkins. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, hearing that, you know, I've always wondered what the animatronics were like in the 70s and if it was like, you know, difficult to be around or if it was something that was just awe inspiring to be around because at that time, uh, like they might have like focused too much on that part of it to really, you know, worry about the directing part of it, maybe. But, you know, like watching it today, you could see that, you know, King Kong was meant to be updated as the generations go along. But, you know, it's I can still go back and enjoy it because of the nostalgia. So I was curious to know what it was like to be on that set, especially with like Jeff Bridges and stuff like that. So because he was up and coming at that oh, time. Oh, we lost uh, him again. Oh, oh, there he is. Listen, can, I, can we break for one second and I'll be right back? Can we? Sure. Oh, Absolutely. Go right ahead. Combo. You got to do what you got to do. Well, my eyeballs are swimming. If I don't go to the bathroom, I'm going to be. I don't I'll want to feel my kid. Oh, you're fine, man. <laughs> okay, you're fine. I'll be right back. Right. All right. <laughs> so, uh, as Jack, Jack takes a little break. Uh, yes. Everyone out there, uh, if you have any questions 
um, just post them on Facebook and uh, we we will uh, get them answered. Um, like he's already opened the box. So if you want to ask about his mafia life, the Kennedy conspiracy, he's like, he has a lot of insight on uh, his. Anything about here. Superman? Anything Superman. about Superman for all the King Kong groups? King Kong. Uh, we're going to lead into Dragnet. Dragnet. Yes, back. we are. Yep. Dragnet. Uh, I was just about to say. I was like, I'm waiting for Dragnet. Uh, while Jack's, uh, Jack's taking a small break, um, for you guys, what do you, what, how did y'all think? Uh, did y'all, was there anything about Nan or any of Zod's characters that they could have, now that you, being that, uh, you know, we grew up with Superman reading the comic books and everything, was there anything that you think could be in, could have been added to these characters? Or do you think that the way they portrayed him is how they should portray him in the future? And how they are, uh, you know, doing it today, like in Man of Steel or in the DCU. That's if you well, I love today. I love the fact that Jack went into the fact that he chose to, uh, his approach to how he right. played him as right. a child. And I again, I go back to the fact that this is my favorite Superman of all time because mm-hmm. I feel like everybody did such a great job in execution and. Um, I, I just, I don't know, man. I don't know that I can pull out anything and say this could should have been this way or that way. I just, number one, I love it, and I didn't have any input to change to begin with. I just love that little insight of the fact that Jack was the one who chose to yeah. approach yes. the, the role like that. Yeah. And doesn't, doesn't it like give you a lot of more respect for that, for the fact that he was trying to reach the children because that was, at the, you know... Like they were already hitting the adult demographic, but right. nothing really hitting the child demographic. You know, Superman was already that, mm-hmm. so he could just, you know, do whatever. But there was no character like in any of the movies that was really reaching out to the kids. So, like, that makes a lot of sense to why Non is a very memorable uh, character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I like you said like that is amazing that he was the one that just thought like I, I'm gonna reach out to the kids I'm gonna play like I'm just a big kid mm-hmm. so I'm I'm very impressed with that little tidbit um, he's back okay guys sorry about that but no, that's all right wrong. well the nature said you better do it son or else <laughs> <laughs> the nature calls you call. scream back at it I'm tell you what Uh-oh. we're still sitting here in awe of that. Um, you were the one that made the decision to uh, uh, create Nan's character to reach out to the child demographic. Because I'm sitting here as I, I when you said that, and I'm sitting here thinking about it. That is probably one of the reasons why his character. Because I, when I think of Superman two, of course I think of Zod. Of course I think of Superman. Those are two major characters, and I grew up reading right. the book. But you stand out to me more than the female character because. I think, I'm, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I think it's because you were playing it as a big child and reaching out to us. I'm like, like we kind of fit in the movies, like our demeanor and how we grew well, up. I think like, it, for me, I think it was the comedy element that he brought to, but she brought to that element. role. Yeah. That's what I was just and about to say. And the innocence, really, like, I don't really know what's going on. I'm kind of learning it as, as it happens. And, you know, mm-hmm. we like, even though Zod and... Uh, What's I, I'm thinking of Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. And Ursa. Uh, Ursa. Yes. Ursa, yes. Yeah. I got their abilities naturally, but you were just like, I don't know. Like, I can't do it. Like, why can't I do it? Like, 
that reaches out to kids because not everything comes as easily to kids as it does. Right. I was about to say the same thing. It didn't come as natural as it came to Zod and it came to Ursula's character that you felt that you were taking the character and almost building it in front of us. Well, it's like when I was standing next to the kid at the truck, burning a hole in, in, in the side mm-hmm. of the truck, you know, mm-hmm. and I got all overjoyed and everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I finally got my eyes to work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow, man. Like, Look at this. Look what I can do. You know? Uh, did somebody here say there was a question? On yeah, Facebook? there's a there's a question from Facebook. Actually, there's a couple, but uh, the first one is, uh, how was it working with Robert Mitchum in Farewell, My Lovely? Oh, Robert was Robert was absolutely wonderful. He he and I became like father and son. He was he was a uh, he's just a brilliant actor. He was one of America's more brilliant actors, you know, and he was such a down to earth individual. And he uh, he and I got on like a household fire. He was I mean, he was great, he was actually brilliant. Now I, I remember I, I was coming out of Goldwyn Studios one day and, and I ran into the editor of the film and and he stopped me and he said uh, Jack he said uh, you never worked before. I said no this is the first shot out. He said well I'm sitting here this guy was an Oscar winning editor. He said I'm sitting here cutting this picture. He said and uh, son I'm gonna tell you something. You're going to be a big star. So I said, oh, thank you very kindly. And I went to Mitchum and I said, you know, maybe I should go to UCLA and take some elocution lessons or go to one of these acting guys. And he laughed like hell. And he said, stick with me, son, and you'll fart through silk. Don't worry about a thing. (laughs) (laughs) What's the next question, Brian? Um, Have you watched any of the new uh, Superman movies? And uh, what do you think of them right now? I, they get darker and darker, and I, I mean that's the reason why we we want to do this, bringing Christopher back because these guys are getting. I mean, you know, in our Superman versions, there wasn't killing people all over the place. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He's taking care of law and order properly and stuff like that. You know, so yeah. there was a lot more respect involved. You know, mm-hmm. and it was uh, a much different atmosphere and and more entertaining. I thought. You know. Uh, they're getting really way out of bounds with, especially when they did Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, and they're all killing each other and stuff. And it just got, yeah. it's getting a little bit out of hand, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, no. We agree that the uh, oh. DC movies are getting, are, are, are viewing from the path, I guess yeah. you could say. Of I've always seen Superman as like a beacon of hope, a bright right. Yeah, well, well that's, Batman you know, is for the you, dark. You gotta take into consideration, Superman was the first American superhero. Mm-hmm. So when they took the American way out of it and tried to make it something out of, I mean, it just they just they, they took for for me anyway. I, I I don't even watch them. I can't. It's you know, ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you, it's hard for me to. Okay, so. TV wise, I think it's getting ridiculous. Some of the movies are kind of getting. I, I, when you get outside of the Superman movies, are kind of getting lighthearted again, and I think they're finding a pattern with the lightheartedness again. But like, I agree with you. There's too much killing in a, and especially in a, in movies where these were like like Superman and Batman were always about like you know upholding the law. And there's just mm-hmm. there's such a disregard for human life in these music in these movies that just didn't happen in the in the old Superman movies. Oh you yeah, know? they always took every human life into account. 
Well, it's everything he did, it's just like when he caught the helicopter so it wouldn't fall on people. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and, or, he, or he stopped things from happening so people wouldn't get hurt. You know, it's yeah. like we we're picking up the bus to throw it. And he's saying, no, no, don't do that because it's full of people. You know, mm-hmm. right. Uh, he, he was always trying to protect people. And that's what he was there for. That's what yeah. he was about. So when they, when you go away from that, you go away from the whole meaning of Superman. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so we have, have a, we have another. Uh, and on the screen, I think it would be terrific. We have yeah. another question from our fan group. Um, who was your favorite actor or actress to work with? Well, Mitchum stands above everybody, I guess. And then it was then Brando was a lot of fun. Brando and I became very good friends. He knew my father, and and he couldn't wait to meet me. And I was down on the set waiting for him to come in the first day because Mitchum said, "Go down and say hello to him for me." And uh, and, and he ran away from the press to come over and say, "Hey, Jack, man, blah blah blah." And we started talking about New York and stuff. And uh, he was a great guy, but he, you know, actors like him. When they walk on a set, you hear a pin drop. Mm-hmm. They command that kind of respect. Yep. You know? yeah. I can imagine Brando commanding like, yeah. that. Well, they have that kind of, I mean, you can't believe the the the, uh, the creativity that oozes out of these guys, you know? Yeah. I've been very lucky. I worked with Mitchum, and I worked with Brando, and I worked with Ackman, and uh, Omar Sharif, and Jimmy oh. Coburn. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, Sharif so, was a trip. Omar was, 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 he was brilliant. We did a great little picture, uh, that should have done much better, but the, the, uh, distributor just ran out of money. They didn't promote it properly called mm-hmm. the Baltimore bullet with, uh, Coburn and Sharif and Omar was, Omar was what a fun guy. God, I had a good time. He was good. So I have to bring up, uh, one of the funniest movies and one of my fa- all-time favorites as well as Superman 2 is Dragnet. 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 Yep. Oh, oh, I watched Dragnet 50 times and you still wouldn't get all the one-liners. No. It's, no. I still watch it to this day and still find stuff that I missed. Oh, and it's, oh, it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. I have first, before we get into what it's like on set at, on a comedy Yes. But please tell me that you ad libbed the badge kisser part. Tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> the chewing gum Snickers bar and my attorney, you badge kisser. Please tell me that. Was you know, they, they, we were doing that scene and, uh, and it just came out that way, you know. <laughs> it's the I got best line it. in the movie. I really got into it, you know, and I just, uh, and I uh-huh. was doing. I was I, I put my mind in it when I was being interrogated by some cops one time, and they and they really aggravated me. And I said similar things like that. You know? <laughs> so you uh, so you've drawn from real life. Oh yeah, into your acting. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. So what was it like being on the set with Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks? Well, it was Tom's breakout picture, you know, yep. and and mm-hmm. he was and he was a young guy, and he was and he was a very very talented man. And Dan Aykroyd is Dan Aykroyd. I mean, he's just—he's like a walking comedy show. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. He, he's, and he had the—he had the earpiece in his ear, listening to Jack Jack Webb all the time, you know, to get that drama down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! To get the voice. I mean, to walk around stiff like that all the time. I, <laughs> it was just—it was brilliant. And then poor, 
poor uh, uh, Harry uh, Morgan was was in the throes of dementia. We lost him on a set one day. Oh, I mean, no. He wandered off. You know, wow. But he, oh. but he still pulled off of a great part. He still did it well. You know, he, yeah. Harry, oh, yeah, you couldn't tell at all. Yeah, no. Great actor. So we we had a lot of fun. There was some good actors on that on that cast as well. But Ackroyd was Ackroyd and Hanks, and you know we had a, we had a good time. How was it working with Christopher Plummer? He's a great guy. I like Christopher. Christopher's a good guy. I knew him from England, but he's a he's, he's a very talented man. You know when you work with when you work with talent like that, it's so much easier. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you just uh, you fall right into into things, you know, and he uh, it's like when he did that when I was burning all the books and he came by this when he was leaving. Mm-hmm. And, and just the, the little parry that he and I had was so like natural. You would say, wow, that must that guy could really happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. Do we have any more uh, questions on Facebook? No, no. That's it right now. Well, that's it right now. So, uh, Jack. Before we uh, before we sign off, uh, one I'd like to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with us, and because and we are all geeking out, and we will probably be talking for three more hours just about this. <laughs> just about this call. Yeah, <laughs> listen, you call have, me. You can call me about the Kennedy thing anytime you want, man. Oh, oh, we thought about having a Kennedy show. I give you and, some answers that you've never really heard of. We, I want them. We have a conspiracy show coming up. If we could call you and you'd be about part of that conspiracy show, that would be amazing. <laughs> that's, that's the most taken out of bounds conspiracy that there was. Boy, I mean. Oh, <laughs> yes, it was. I, I, got, I, have, I have two questions. Uh, yeah. One, uh, was there uh, one movie above your entire career, which you have had a long movie? Oh, you know, okay. Three questions, actually. Are you working on anything currently? Because I've seen. Oh yeah, we're going to do the film of uh, uh, Family Legacy. We're going to we're going to turn that into a movie, and we're going to do a television series. Oh, nice! Face Charlie Luciano's life and my father's life, and and we're going to really. I mean, you got to understand something. They do mob pictures, and it's always about the mob and this and that. But Mm -hmm. what we're going to do is show the truth of fact that back in the beginning. The government, industry, organized crime, and unions were all partners. Yeah. yeah. They all work together. I mean, yeah. you can become a, a, a wealthy person without the help of the mafia. Right. And and they, so they work together up until the Kennedy era. So we're going to tell, show that side that the illicit monies that they made, they put back into the growth of a country. They created jobs because their, their source of income was loan sharking, gambling, and extortion. If you didn't have money, how could you not pay? How could you pay them? Yeah, yeah. right. To work, you know, there was construction jobs. There was uh, waterfront jobs. There was uh, all kinds. They invested in Westinghouse, General Electric, Sears and Roebucks. You know, yeah, insurance companies. They they helped the growth of a country, and that's never been told that part of it. So we're going to do that. You know? Okay, that's awesome. I, I, I see like, you're going to have a show called Vicky. Oh, Vicky. Is that yeah? Yeah. Is that uh, out yet? We were looking for it, but couldn't find it yet. A show called what? Vicky. 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 Oh, they talked about that. You know, they. Uh, I'll tell you one mo- movie I'm getting ready to do. That I started 40 years ago when I was doing King Kong. I wrote this script. 
when I very got into first got into the movie, and I did Farewell My Lovey. I didn't have an agent. And when the film came out, I said to Mitchum, I said, you know, maybe I think I better get a, an agent. And he said, he pointed to the phone book. I said, <laughs> I'm asking you a question. He said, well, if you think I'm going to give you somebody and then they don't work out well and you're going to come back here and kick me in the ass, ain't going to happen. <laughs> so I, I found this guy, Myron Miskin, who was, who was uh, Lee Marvin's agent and Richard Dreyfuss and good guy. And I, I called Mitchum on the phone. I said, well, I'm, I think I'm going to go with Robert Mitchum, with uh, Myron Miskin. He said, great choice. I said, well, you could have told me that. He was in the same building as his office. And when I went to see this guy and I sat down, he's figuring, what do you want to do as a career? And I said, you know, I like to follow the Victor McLaughlin role. You know, uh, I don't want to just be one of these goony guys. I, I want to be able to, put, I want to do something acting, you know. And he said, well, they don't make movies like that anymore. So I said, well, I'll redo The Informer. Okay. Ah. It's a great film that, you know, won four Oscars. John Ford directed And he looked at me and he said, you're not an actor six months and already you're going to be a producer and a writer? <laughs> so I, I did. I went and I, I got Liam O'Flaherty who wrote the book. And I sat down with him and, and uh, he told me things. And I, I did another adaption of the book. Okay. And, uh, and we're getting ready to do that 40 years later, and it's going to be a great movie. Hey, we uh, got a ballad of a simple man. We got a quick question that just popped up in here. Were you ever able to keep any cool props from any of the films you did? That's a good question. I'm yeah. not a hoarder. I, you know, <laughs> I probably should have. You know, everybody else did. But uh, as my as my significant other would tell you, I don't hoard things. I mean, I I'm in like a few Hall of Fames and. I've gotten some awards in Italy and some other things, and and they're sitting collecting dust somewhere. I don't, I don't, <laughs> them, I don't put them out and stuff like that. Yeah, and I gotcha. Won a lot of awards in my life doing certain things in sports and all, and I, I just never collect memorabilia. Okay. So before we sign out, uh, what kind of advice would you give to an up and coming actor who is looking, uh, looking to make that breakout, especially Keep the day if job. <laughs> it's you know it's really a tough business you know what i mean it's a it, there's so many people trying to break into it but it, it, I, I tell you here's a good story i'm doing farewell my lovely and first shot that we ever did and we completed it and they're starting to move the cameras around mm -hmm. i looked at mitchum and i said what what's going on here man he said, you really don't know, do you? I said, well, what am I asking you for? <laughs> he said, that's it, kid. I said, that's all there is to this shit? He <laughs> said, yeah. I said, man, I'm a star. <laughs> that became a tagline of the movie. So, and then I, I asked him a question. I said, what would you say the definition of a star is? He said, one word, Jack, called presence. Mm -hmm. You either have it on the screen or you don't. He yeah. said, it's like you could go to a movie and see Marlon Brando. It doesn't make any difference what role he's in. When you're walking out of the theater, you say, boy, Marlon was great doing this and Marlon was great doing that. You know, and then you could go to a movie and see a very good actor by the name of William Holden. And you're coming out and you're saying, boy, he was, what was that guy's name? Hmm. It's, mm. it's a word called presence. You, when you have that presence on screen, A, the camera loves you and people never forget you. Yeah, yeah. I want to see you again and again. It's like when I did, I did uh, Hero and the Terror with Chuck Norris. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, they put out, they went to, a, to do a demographic at a theater, and they, put out, they gave everybody these cards and, and asked them questions as, what, why did you come to see this movie? Mm-hmm. And 86% of them said, because I was in it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. They want to see me do a film, you know, and so you had that presence, you know, uh, it, it's just, uh, it's a workable deal and you can't teach that to anybody. You either have it or you don't, you know, so uh, yeah. my advice is the same advice Mitchum gave me. Just embrace the character and walk down the street like that character and do it as you. There you go. That's you know, great advice. And you are and you are a master of character uh, development because if you look at all these favorite movies of ours, you have a very memorable character in every single one of them. Every uh, for everybody, one. for everybody watching, this is Jack O'Halloran, Irish Jack, the boxer, the actor, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, you'll know him, uh, Joe Perko and King Kong, Emil Muzz and Dragnet, the famous non from Superman one and two. Um, He's got a book coming out. You're going to have to remind me of the website. Uh, the Fair, Family Legacy Novel.com. Buy his book. He's got amazing insight uh, on the mafia life and the Kennedy assassination. Uh, he's got some amazing work coming out. Follow him. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for being on our show, man. We, we are. Thank just you so much. That. Yes. Hey, my pleasure. Four Musketeers from Tennessee. How could you resist? <laughs> <laughs> um, before we sign out, uh, we want to uh, do a couple of plugs. Uh, first one, if you can, uh, guys, if y'all can put up the Starbase 1552 comics. Yes. Uh, this is a comic shop that is in Franklin. Um, reach out to Judd. Uh, go on his Facebook page for Starbase 1552 comics. Uh, you can go to his website, uh, website starbase5052comicstheshop.com. Uh, he's got amazing stuff. He's still doing curbside pickup. Um, every now and again, he'll do auctions on Facebook. Um, he's got some amazing stuff. Even if you want to reach out and just chat with him about starting a collection, I would uh, look for the non-action figure from the 70s and 80s uh, starting right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what uh, we need uh, too. We need a, a nom Star Wars or a nom action figure. Yes. Yeah, nom action figure. Uh, so uh, reach out to him. Go to his website. Go to his Facebook page. Uh, look out for auctions uh, when stores open back up. Go and just spend hours uh, looking through his store in Discovery. Um, is the logo up right yes, now? It is. It okay, was. So yeah, this is this is the logo. Um, uh, when you go to his website, you'll easily find it, and uh, you can reach out to Judd personally. He loves uh, talking uh, nerdly eclectic. Uh, and we also got some future shows, if, Jim, you want to take that. Yes, uh, coming up this Thursday, we're going to have uh, Sean Kanan. Uh, he's going to be talking with us. You're going to know him primarily from uh, Karate Kid 3, and uh, he's going to join us. We're going to talk about all his acting history and about what he's got going on right now. And then coming up on Friday, we're going to have Eric James Morris, um, talented actor that we're going to talk with and find out what he's got going on. And right now, that's what we've got scheduled coming up. We also have uh, the live draft on Thursday. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a, a solo show where mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the NFL draft. 
Yeah, if you just want to log on with us Thursday night and complain with us all night, we'll be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, we are the Eclectic Collective, and this is Jack O'Halloran. Go follow, uh, go follow all his stuff. Buy his uh, book. Yeah, buy, buy his book. Buy his Definitely book. buy the book. Watch all his movies. Get in touch. You know, you can learn so much about character development just by watching one movie with this guy. So. Jack O'Halloran, Irish Jack, thank you so much again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys. You take care. Don't eat too many pork chops down there. You're (laughs) (laughs) I make no guarantees. And everyone (laughs) out there, stay eclectic. Stay eclectic, guys. Stay eclectic, guys. (laughs)